to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 57 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 27th of March 2011, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, Part 19. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 13. Here's Pastor R.T. Curtis. Taking our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. When you're reading through verse 13, I invite you to stand with us for the reading of God's holy word, beginning with verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. May the Lord richly add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. All right, as we begin to look at this passage this morning, and uh, we're thinking of this matter of the duration of the gifts. Of course, we looked at some of the different uh, uh, positions to be considered as to whether these gifts have already uh, ceased in the past whether they are going to cease in the future, or whether that uh, some have ceased in the past and some will cease in the future. We know, according to this verse, there is absolutely no doubt. Uh, Here, the Word of God is contrasting the permanence of love against these temporary gifts that all are going to come to an end. And of course, we uh, we looked at those things. We not only looked at the, uh, the positions that were to be considered, but we looked at the purpose Uh, for the commencement of gifts in the first place, uh, what their purpose is and what they're there for. And then finally, we began looking at some of the uh, particulars of the cessation of gifts. And we looked at this this passage right here, and we looked at a few things there, uh, a distinction in the the action of of this taking place there with some of the the words that that are used and the, uh, the importance of that as we as we look at it, and, uh, and I said that as we uh, came back this evening, we also wanted to look at something else, and that is a distinction in the apostles. Uh, again, I think there's some things that, as I said this morning, if this were an easy passage, we know that so many of the different views and why people think what they do hinges around this, but when that which is perfect is come. We mentioned some of the perfect things, and we know that there are several perfect things that could be being considered there. I'm going to hopefully in the end be able to draw it down to uh, a position uh, and and, uh, certainly uh, uh, be willing to share with you what I think that uh, the Scriptures are speaking of there. But I think as we look at some of these other things that it will help us because always there is no greater interpreter of the Word of God than the Word of God itself. Now, not only do we see a clear distinction here in the, in the 
action that is taking place here within these verses. But the Bible shows us, I believe, that there is a clear distinction in the apostles. Uh, we do not believe in apostolic succession. We believe that God chose 12 apostles for a specific work. We talked a little bit about that this morning uh, in the fact of Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the apostles being the foundation, and, of course, we being built upon that as the building of Christ, uh, his body, and his church. I want you to notice a couple of passages as we, as we look and try to put some of these things together. First of all, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, and not for any real particular reason. You can find this recorded in the other Gospels as well. But a very, very important position, and I will say this, though this is not, I won't charge anything extra. Many people today, and again, it's not a fundamental issue, believe that the church began on the day of Pentecost. Um, I believe that what we're about to read right here is when the church began uh, here in chapter 9 and, and chapter 10 of Luke, when Jesus Christ sent his apostles, and then following that, he sends the 70 out uh, to minister, uh, first of all, here, uh, the message of the kingdom, that the kingdom has arrived. Uh, their faith had to be put in who Jesus Christ was. And of course, as we look here, first of all, in Luke chapter 9, we see him sending forth the 12 in verses 1 through 6. Notice it says, then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. Whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Here we find that Jesus Christ is sending forth First of all, these 12, his apostles that he has set aside. And he's sending them forth for the purpose to preach the kingdom. But he's sending them forth with these enablements, this gift of miracles. Now, I'm not going to get again into a lot of detail here, but when you find the gift of, 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 of miracles uh, in the Scriptures, we find that more times than not, it is the same word as the word that is power. This is exactly what he's talking about when he gave them power and authority over all the devils. Now, I would ask you to remember this because we're not going to look at it specifically in scriptures, but I would challenge you sometime to go through your Bible and look at the miracles that Jesus Christ performed and then look at the miracles that the apostles performed. May I say that Jesus Christ, when he performed miracles, there was absolutely no barriers in the world to stop whatever he did. We find that he would go against very nature and, 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 and the laws of nature itself. His very first miracle when he turned the water into wine, he obeyed the winds and the seas and they would have to obey his command. We find him taking the, 
uh, the uh, minimal amount of food with the, the fishes and the loaves and, and feeding thousands of people, you don't find the apostles doing any of those type of miracles. I'll tell you what you'll find in the miracles that were performed by the apostles, and it's exactly what we see right here in verse 1, the power, the authority over devils. We find that they went out, first of all, they had the authority to cast the devils, the demons, if you would, out of people, and we see them miraculously doing that, and the gift of healing, which we find is what he's giving them here to cure diseases. They weren't to take a whole lot of earthly uh, things with them, uh, but they were going with these special enablements, gifts that Jesus Christ gave to them for the ministry that they had before them. Now, that's interesting. Now, turn over just one chapter to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and notice what we find here beginning in verse 1 of this chapter. After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Notice the emphasis. Go your, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Remember, he told the apostles not to take a lot with them, carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. If the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. In the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house, and into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. Verse 9 says, And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not. Go your ways out into the streets the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you, that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Jesus Christ sent forth the twelve with special enablement. They had the power to perform miracles in the casting out of, of demons and devils. And they had the power to cure sickness. Now he's sending forth these 70 two by two, again for the same purpose, the harvest is plenty, the labors are few. They're going to preach the kingdom. What's the difference in preaching the kingdom and preaching the gospel, which we find later they're commanded to do? Jesus Christ hadn't died on the cross yet. Jesus Christ hadn't been buried in the grave yet. Jesus Christ had not arisen from the dead yet. 
but they're preaching the kingdom of God. They're preaching Jesus Christ and who he is. We find that they are able to go in and they're able to perform these miracles that we will see later really is to authenticate who they are and the message that they are preaching. These again, and, and let me say this too, as you read the different gospels, the list is not exactly the same here when, it, when he's sending these forth, when he's sending his disciples forth as far as what they're to take and what they're not to take. But if you look, basically what he's saying to them is, is you know, don't take anything that you don't have to have. In other words, you've got the clothes on your back. Don't even worry about packing a bunch of food to carry along with you. Your focus, your mission is to go out there and to preach Jesus Christ. And as they go forth, their needs will be met as they go forth with these enablements. So we see that here, while Christ is still upon this earth, amidst his earthly ministry, he sent out these 12 and he sent out these 70. And the Bible says that he has given them special power to be able to perform those miracles over the demons and to be able to cure sickness. Now, we find the 70 when he sends them forth. We don't find there the same thing over the, over the devils, over the demons, but we do find him giving them the power to heal the sick, the gift of healing. So this is while Jesus Christ was still here amidst Christ's earthly ministry. But I want you to notice something else, and here we could spend a long time, but I just want to give you an idea. Not only amidst Christ's earthly ministry did he give these specific special gifts and powers, but after Christ returned to glory. Let's turn over into the Acts of the Apostles. These are the 12 that he gave those, those gifts to there. Let's find out what happens after the Lord Jesus Christ has died, was buried, rose again, and now has returned to his Father in heaven. Acts chapter 3, we find the, the first miracle recorded in your Bible of the Lord Jesus Christ is that when at the marriage of Cana, he turned the water into wine. The first miracle that we find here in the book of Acts being performed by the apostles is, of course, here in chapter 3. Now, they'd already seen some miraculous things taking place. They'd seen that uh, the uh, um, day of Pentecost, uh, the gift of tongues, the gift of languages, where the, everybody there was able to hear in their own language and whatnot. But here we find the apostles themselves going out, and it's the first time that we see them performing uh, this miracle, this gift that he's given them over sickness it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, and they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. It's a pretty good place to lay if you were needing help because there were so many people going in and out of the temple. It wasn't like, you know, if, if, if somebody poor wanted to sit in front of the church doors, it wouldn't be a very good place. Um, but, you know, again, most of them, the only time they're going to get anybody coming through is on the Sunday anyway. Uh, but they said he did it here daily because the temple was a very busy place, and you'd hope that those people would have some kind of concern. So he's there, and he's just begging for alms. He's just 
wanting to meet his necessities. Notice verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Just like when we see somebody by, on the street that is asking alms, he spoke to him, he looks, and what he's expecting is for them to give him some little something uh, to help him. But notice verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. This is, I don't, again, I don't think this is coincidence. Remember, when the Lord sent them forth, he sent them forth without their, their worldly goods. Here he is about to do that which the Lord has enabled him to do. And when he finds this man, he says, silver and gold have I none. I, I don't have any riches of this world, but such as I have, give I thee. He didn't have a bunch of extra stuff carrying along that he could give him for his need, but he had something that God had given him, such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. It says, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? He's speaking to Jewish people, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised from the dead whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now you're going to see some things as we look at these passages. This miracle that is recorded here of these apostles who had been given this special gift of healing, we find that here they are, they are performing that. And, of course, they're giving all the glory. But I want you to notice a few things. Keep in mind, keep in mind the Bible was very specific and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This was something very physical that had to take place. And I want you to notice that they're making it absolutely positively clear. Even though they've got this gift, there is nothing that they are doing that is bringing this about. Look just a few pages over in your Bible in the book of Acts, 
chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Notice what it says beginning in verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and there were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also so a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Now I want you to keep these things in mind. The Bible is specific. The Bible is clear. These miracles that are being performed here, what is taking place? What is going on? And I want you to keep something else in mind that I believe is very, very important. And they were healed. Notice those last two words, every one. Now keep that in mind. We don't want it taken out of context, but it's very important, I believe. Turn over a few more pages in Acts chapter 9. What we're trying to make a clear, clear point is, is that these apostles, they were given some very special gifts. And I believe as sure as I am standing here in the flesh before you this evening, these miracles are real. These apostles were able. Jesus Christ specifically, before he sent them out, he gave them power and authority over the demons, and he gave them the power to be able to heal the sick. And we see this happening in Acts chapter 9. Notice what the Word of God says beginning in verse 36. It says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. It came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. When they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, Turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many 
believed in the Lord. The ultimate, the ultimate act that can be performed with the gift of healing. You can't get any sicker than when you're dead. This one didn't even have any life left in her. And yet Peter, all he had to do will say, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, get up. That's it. And the Bible says that life was returned to her. Acts chapter 19. We've seen Peter and we've seen John. We've seen these miraculous things taking place in their lives. Acts chapter 19 tells us very clearly that this was just as true of the Apostle Paul. In verse 11 and 12 of chapter 19, the Bible says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now, you can look. There are many other miracles recorded in God's Word. But I'm telling you, search it out in God's Word. These are the miracles that are happening. It is the evil spirits, the demons that are being cast out, and the gift of healing, whatever it is that health being restored, even to the point of being able to raise the dead. We're talking about a distinction in the apostles and who these men were. Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, these apostles being the foundation that you and I, as the building of God, the church is built upon today. We find that we find something else in Scripture here in the book of Acts. We find that it wasn't just the apostles in the early church, but there were a few that the Bible mentions that ministered with those apostles, that apparently just like the 70 while Christ was upon earth, that these were passed on. Notice back in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, I'm just going to give you a couple of the deacons. In Acts chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen. Stephen, one of those first deacons that were chosen, the Bible says he did great wonders and miracles among the people. Two chapters over in Acts chapter 8. Notice what the Bible tells us in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, 
and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You see, amidst Christ's ministry, while he was here upon earth, and I'm telling you, I believe it, and I'm not going to make an issue with it, but I believe with all my heart that he himself began the work of building his church when he sent out the 12 and he sent out the 72 by 2 preaching the kingdom. I believe that after Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again, that the scriptures are clear, that those apostles that he chose that were the foundation of the church that you and I are part of today, that those apostles still had those special gifts that he had given them. And they were apparently able to pass them on to a few others in those early days. Why? Why? Well, I want to challenge you also, as we keep these things in mind, to keep in mind also that in all of these cases, when these miracles were being performed, the people were coming to accept the truth. People were believing. Now, some say, oh, wow, you know, that's the thing. Boy, if, 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 we, could, uh, if we could perform miracles like the apostles, can you imagine how many people would see getting saved? If we, could have, if we could do miracles like them, why, this place would be packed out and you wouldn't be able to, to get them in here. Best I recall, folks, there were a lot of people saved under the apostles' ministry. Best I recall, just about every town that they went to, though, before they left, they either got to visit the jail personally or they had people wanting to stone them to death. Best I recall when I read in history, all except one, the Apostle John, died horrible deaths because of what they were preaching, because of the message that they were proclaiming. You see, the simple truth is, no, it's not the miracles. It's the belief. Now, we're going to see some things here. These miracles were for a purpose, to authenticate the man of God and the message that he was preaching. The apostles did not have the word of God that you and I have today. We find elsewhere in Scripture, oh, if we could just call back the prophets, these great men of old, what great wonders would that work? And, and people would believe. No. People will either believe or not. The New Testament. We are New Testament Christians. We are a New Testament church. The New Testament was still being written. There are several reasons which we will see, but I want you to notice. I want you to notice First of all, turn back to Acts chapter 2. We mentioned a moment ago without reading there that, of course, we saw the <clears throat> great miracle take place on the day of Pentecost. Now, folks, I'm not going to get sidetracked here 
on a lot of these specific gifts. I'm, I'm going to combine a few in a minute that I believe the Bible clearly teaches and shows us are sign gifts, and I want to try to put it all into perspective. But here on the day of Pentecost, we see another of those gifts that we have looked at over these recent weeks, that gift of tongues, the gift of languages that took place miraculously there on the day of Pentecost. But I would challenge you not only with other things in the Scriptures, that what took place on the day of Pentecost is not what I see taking place around me today by most that claim to be part of that same miracle. There was a glorious thing took place that day. And what took place that day, remember, first of all, this was, again, a Jewish congregation. And when Peter got up there to preach to them, they knew the Old Testament inside and out. What they had to come to recognize is that Jesus Christ, the one that they had put on that cross, the one that they had put to death, the one that they had called for this murderer to be set free instead of him, that he was the very Messiah that they'd been looking for and yet had rejected when he came. The people on the day of Pentecost got saved the same way that you and I got saved because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for them when he died, was buried, and rose again the third day. But on the day of Pentecost, there was a spectacular thing took place. Notice in Acts chapter 2, jump down to verse 15. Notice what he says beginning in verse 15, because remember, these guys, what we see is this miracle has taken place. Here's Peter up here preaching, and what's happening? People are there said, Jews, devout men out of every nation. But they can't understand. Aren't, aren't these men Galileans? And yet we're hearing them in our own language? <laughs> How is this possible? We find that that's exactly what was happening. But then notice in verse 15, well, verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. They thought they were drunk. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A couple of things that are important. All of the prophecy of Joel hasn't been fulfilled yet. But he's saying, hey, what you're seeing right now is part of that prophecy being fulfilled. What you see taking place here is exactly what God said would take place. And he lists some other things. 
that will be as signs. You hear me and others use the term a lot of time, signs of the times. We see signs of the times all around us because God has said, when you see these things, they are a sign here of the great and notable day of the Lord's return, in other words. We find that the Bible says these things were given as a sign. This was a sign that was prophesied by Joel, and now you see it happening. Of course, remember, the signs were for who? The Jews. The prophecies were to who? The Jews. They've been prophesied. It's being fulfilled. Staying in Acts chapter 2, look down in verse 43 of that chapter. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders, and what's the next word in your Bible? Signs were done by the apostles. What signs were being done? God had given them power and authority over the devils, over the demons. God had given them the power to be able to heal the sick. We find that these signs were taking place. Now, we could look at many things, but I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and I want to read to you from Hebrews chapter 2 what the writer of Hebrews, I believe, of the apostle Paul, but it doesn't really matter. It's all inspired and given from God, whoever he used to pen it. Hebrews chapter 2, a familiar passage, but often not taken in the context that it's given. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Remember, that's where we began. That's where we looked this morning. It was Jesus Christ that was performing the miracles. It was Jesus Christ that was doing the preaching and the teaching and was confirmed to, unto us by them that heard him, the apostles themselves. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. This is what we've been looking at for weeks now. The gifts of the Holy Ghost. What we're trying to look at today as we look at the duration is of all those gifts that we've looked at and what they are and how they're given out and all of those things. Are those gifts all still available to us today? What gifts are at work amongst us today? We know that 
all gifts in a sense are temporary. They're there during the church age. They're there for the body of Christ. Do you find it maybe just a little bit interesting? Paul talks here, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and what's the next was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Now, we're, we're only here, you know, approximately 60-some years A.D. at this point. <laughs> Paul's already talking about it in the past tense. <clears throat> or whoever the inspired writer is, if you want it, you think it was somebody else. <laughs> God, through his writer, here, is already talking about what was taking place with the apostles in the past tense. I didn't put that there. We looked at those words this morning, and words are so important. I challenge you to think about something and search your Bibles again concerning this whole matter of miracles. Preacher, do you believe in miracles? With all of my heart. Do we serve a God that's capable of still performing miracles today? Absolutely. Is God still able to miraculously heal someone that is completely beyond anything that the doctors can do for them? 100% yes. Is there anything that is impossible with our God? No. Don't dare go away and say that preacher doesn't believe in miracles. Don't say that preacher doesn't believe in divine healing. Folks, I believe in divine healing with all of my heart. But I'm sorry, I do not believe in divine healers. Okay? I want you to understand and realize we have a miracle-working God. But if you search the Scriptures, all that history covers, you'll find that in all of that history that there's only about three times in history, in the history of mankind, 6,000 years now, we believe, <laughs> three periods, close to not exactly around 70, a little less years for each one, that miracles were the norm. You see, it's one thing to believe in miracles and to believe in a miracle-working God. But folks, miracles aren't the norm. We find that as you look in your Scriptures, you'll find, first of all, that the time of Moses and Joshua, you'll find that there were a lot of miracles performed. When God was bringing His people out of captivity in Egypt, God used the two of them. God performed miracles. You don't wander around 40 years in the wilderness with your shoes and clothes and everything staying normal and God feeding you every day that you're there. <laughs> Miraculous was the norm. But then it passed. 
we find another period. That was around 1441 to 1370 B.C., by the way. Then around 870 to 785 B.C., we find two other men on the scene, Elijah and Elisha. And again, for a period of years, God used those men to perform tremendous miracles. And then around A.D. 28 to whenever they stop during the apostolic age, Christ and his apostles. Miracles, not the exception, with those that God had given the power, the norm. Now, as we look at those things, you see, God has always, in all of those cases, he has used the miracles to authenticate the messenger and the message that it was from God. I said this morning, he's never done it to put on a show. He's never done it to entertain. It's not some kind of a, a magic show. God did it to authenticate because it was a time when it needed to be authenticated. As I look at Scripture, I see at least, if you would, a few gifts that the Bible itself shows us are such, are sign gifts that were given for a specific time and a specific purpose for a specific reason. And these sign gifts that we read about that was taking place here in the book of Acts were assigned to the nation of Israel. Signs they'd been told about back in the Old Testament. Miracles. The power to cast out the devils, the demons, out of the people that were possessed of them. Nobody else could do that. Healing. Now, I could get off on a sidetrack here, but I've told you, I'm not going to, but I'm going to just throw this in. I told you to remember some things about those healings. You know, it's interesting. I believe in divine healing. Do you know that I see a few things about the gift of healing that God gave to his apostles? I cannot find one place in there whether they ever turned anybody away. I can't find one place in there where that the sick that were brought were not instantaneously healed. Now listen to me. Jesus Christ, when he healed, he healed with a touch or a word instantaneously. His apostles did it the same way. I, I, I can't comprehend a lot of this stuff that we see today, and it's between them and God, and I'm just not going there. God's given me so many healings tonight. First come, first served. You know. This person or that person, God's got a healing for you, but he does it for you. I'm saying even when, if 
The gift of healing was still there. It never worked that way in the Bible. That's not the way it was done. We find that the Bible says these miracles that the apostles were able to perform, they were a sign to authenticate who they were and the message that they were bringing. Healing, tongues. The Bible says those were signs. They were certain gifts that were given for a sign. Now, I said this morning, our purpose here is not to get into I've got brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know, no matter what I say about this subject tonight, I can say just about anything I want to in any direction I want to and make somebody mad. The ideas are so diverse. I challenged you this morning that as we talk about the duration of these gifts, to try to put away man's ideas, to try to put away anybody's ideas and base your conclusions on what you could find in God's Word. Now, I'm just saying as I look here, remember, stop and think about the message that is being delivered by the apostles in this early community when they're getting up there and preaching. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, it was a pretty staggering message. Peter saying, you people have murdered the Messiah. You've killed the Messiah. He's telling them point blank to their face that they're murderers and that the one that they murdered was the Messiah that they were waiting for. They're being told that God has warned them and God has given them these signs and now you're going to be set aside and God's going to take this to the Gentile nation. This is what he's telling all of these Jewish believers. You think they're accepting that with smiles? <laughs> Folks, the New Testament is being written at that time. It's not been written yet. These signs were there to authenticate so that these men that were preaching the Word of God without the written Word of God that you and I have, that it could authenticate who they were. They were performing miracles like Jesus Christ had amongst them. They were doing it while he was here. They were doing it after he went away to authenticate who they were, to show who they were. The Bible is filled with places to do it. Now, people are going to react pretty strong to the message that they were preaching and the power that was being displayed upon these men. That's why I believe that you find very little apathy in the New Testament. They were either ready to kill them and put them away or they got saved. <laughs> you didn't have people coming along just feeling all comfortable because 
Ah, oh, they're able to join you in your nice religious service today. The message of God was a strong message. The message of God was not one that was easily received. But these men had special gifts that Jesus Christ gave them himself to authenticate that they really were who they said they were, but most of all that Jesus Christ was who he said he was. These men ended up dying for their message. Miracles, signs have always been there for when they were needed. You know, if you, if you look back into the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, about a familiar thing that we talked about earlier. Notice what it says in verse 11 and 12. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn on the selfsame day. Notice verse 12. And the manna ceased. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Even the manna from heaven. It was never meant to be a magic trick. It was there to feed God's people, to authenticate God's message and God's messenger. And as soon as it wasn't needed anymore, there's that word we looked at this morning. It ceased. It ceased. We've already seen clearly that the Apostle Paul had the gift of healing, didn't he? I'm just throwing this out there. You got to, you've got to be willing to consider. Notice what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2. Now, I'm, I'm sure that you've heard some of those today. Folks, you know, I believe that healing to us today comes through prayers, divine healing. God will heal, and he works through the prayers of his people. And the simple truth is, is that as we look there, the apostle Paul, he had the gift of healing. We know he was healing people there in Acts. But notice in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, this is the Apostle Paul, the man that had the gift of healing, we know. He said, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. Listen, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
Epaphroditus was so sick that he was near death. Why didn't the Apostle Paul just miraculously touch him and heal him? That's not what took place. Notice as Paul is writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, a familiar verse, verse 23, the Bible says, Timothy, drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine own infirmities. Why is he prescribing medicine for him? He's got the gift of healing, which we know that he had. And yet he's, he could have just said, be gone, stomach problem that you've got with Timothy. But he's prescribing medication for him. Second Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 20. Paul, in closing out his letter, he's giving a little bit of insight into where his fellow workers are. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum. How? What's the next word? Sick. I'm, I'm just saying, folks, you got to take all the Bible. Don't let people take a verse here and a verse there and take it out of context. You see, nobody can believe that my God is any bigger than I do. I don't believe that anything, anything is impossible with my God. But I believe the Word of God teaches us that with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that there were some certain things that he did with his apostles that he did for a specific reason because of who they were. And it all, as we look at all that we looked at this morning and what those words meant in speaking of those, those gifts, and we look at what he is doing here, you see, there was a distinction being made in the apostles. He was authenticating God's message through them. There was a distinction in the action as we saw this morning. Now we can go back and we can say, okay, and all of this, and there's so much, and we could spend so much time, but remember, I said this morning, you know, time is always my enemy. We've always only got so much of it. The Bible tells us clearly of all these gifts. And the Bible teaches us, again, not in the context that many have taken it, but as we looked at our reading there in 1 Corinthians, the Bible said that prophecy and knowledge, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge or the, or the word of knowledge, the Bible says that they would come to a point to where that they would not any longer be used. The Bible said that something was going to happen to act upon them, that they would come to no, no longer be operative. And as we look through, we find that that something was, he said, when that which is perfect is come. 
Preacher, do you know what that which is perfect has come? Well, I'm not going to argue with people. And I said this morning, that has got nothing to do with the cessation of tongues. The word there is totally different. Tongues stopped by itself. It was there for a sign to the Jews. It was there for a reason. It was there for a purpose. I believe with all my heart, God wants to give you the ability to speak in a language that you haven't learned to do exactly what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. He is more than capable to do that. But that's not what we're seeing today. We're not going to get into all that. That which is perfect. Could it be the Word of God? We believe we've got the perfect Word of God. From everything that we've looked at, I'd have to say that's probably not what it's talking about there, though. Why? Are the gift of prophecy and knowledge gone? I don't think so. As we looked at what they were, I believe they are in the revelatory sense. God is not using prophecy to give new revelation today, but God is certainly using prophecy for the proclaiming forth before a crowd, which is what the word means, of God's Word. Knowledge, not in the sense of a word of knowledge that was revelatory, that was something new that God hadn't given. But I believe, yes, God gifts certain people today with the ability to understand God's Word in a wonderful way and be able to pass that knowledge on to others. That's a gift from God that only the, the Holy Spirit can do. You see, it doesn't really have anything to do with whether the tongue stopped or not anyway. That's not the context. Whoop. That's not the context that it's given in there. That which is perfect has come. Does it mean when the Lord Jesus Christ himself returns? Well, again, it could, but I think not. Because again, if you look at the word that's used there in the original, don't believe that it's used of a person. I don't believe that what's being spoken of there is Jesus Christ himself. I believe that it's more likely what he's talking about is when the church age comes to a close. He gave the gifts for the church age. Now, we only see in part like we're looking through a smoked glass. There's going to come a time to remember, remember the whole thing that we looked at. If we, if, we, if we try to look at all of it together, why did he give some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints? We, we, we looked through there at what all that meant, but in the end, until we are all, all in all, as He is. I believe that those gifts will cease to be needed once all of God's Word has done its work through being proclaimed and being understood. That's what changes our lives. And I believe God is still gifting people to be able to do that, not in the same way of when He was giving revelation new, but just as surely a gift from God. I believe... On the other hand, that the Bible very clearly teaches us 
He said, tongues are just going to stop of itself. Why? Because his job would be done. We can look at all kinds of things. We went through weeks one time on that study. There's all kinds of reasons. And I love my brothers and sisters in Christ that believe different on it. That's fine. That's not what we believe here. And it's not what we practice here. And we have biblical grounds and reasons that we stand where we stand upon it. The simple truth is it stopped. Are the gifts for you and I today? Oh, yes, they are. But remember, those are just examples. The gifts of the Holy Spirit is God doing what only God can do through you. A miracle. A miracle is something that cannot be attributed to man or anything else. It can only be attributed to God. Can God still perform miracles? Yes. But it's not the normal that we see every day. The duration of the gifts. God gave them to his church. And I believe that he will continue to use it. Let us not sit down and say, well, we want this one and this one and this one and this one. That's not what the Bible teaches us. If we give ourselves to him, we've already looked at the fact that every believer, every believer is given some gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves in and takes residence. We've looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and now these gifts of the Spirit. It's all the work of Christ being carried on through our lives. And he puts us together into a body that fitly joined together. These gifts working for the whole. That it's Christ that will be glorified. That it's his work that will be accomplished. The Holy Spirit was sent not to do a new work but to carry on the work of Jesus Christ through the life of every willing believer. Our lives need to be filled and controlled, and we need to find the gifts that God has given us, and we need to use them for His glory within the body that we can be all that we want to be. But we also believe that these sign gifts, such as healing and tongues, these miraculous gifts that were normal for the apostles because they were given to them for that purpose to authenticate them and their message in a time when it was needed. Today it's authenticated by God's Word. We've got it. And everything, everything should be tested against that. And so I'm saying to you as simple as I know how, these things are important and there's so much being said about them don't get caught up. There is no reason to be confused. And if you've got questions, go to the Word of God and look at all that God has to say about it. I've just scratched the surface. I hope, as I've tried to, that I've given you a reason for the position that this pastor takes and will be preaching and teaching as long as God allows him the biblical reasons why that stand is there. Not in any way because I'm smarter than any of those others that have different positions, but because I'm going to stand where I believe the Word of God alone will allow me to stand. The gifts of the Spirit, 
They're there for you. Don't go trying to pick what you want God to give you. What God wants is you. You give yourself to him. Being filled with the Spirit, being used of the Spirit, is not you getting more from him. It's him getting more of you, having control of your life. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. And again, I know that there's so much there that we've tried to just piece together these things, Lord, that we can look at and understand completely in their context and know, Lord, that you're the one that gave us your spirit. You gave him for a reason. Lord, that reason, that greatest purpose is that Christ himself, through us, I see his work accomplished here on earth. Father, I pray this evening that you would help us. Lord, to stand firm where we need to stand firm, to be gracious and loving where we can. Help us, Lord, above all, to give ourselves to you and just believe and trust and allow you to do whatever you would through our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd bring us together greater as a church. I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts and minds of those that you have brought here, that you would knit us together, that you would unite us, that people might see one body, the body of Christ, rather than a lot of different religious people. Father, I thank you for each one that is here this evening, and I pray now that as we come to the end of our time together, that your hand of blessing would go with each one. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.